Would you please be seated? If you have a Bible, you can open to Ephesians chapter 4. We'll look at verses 1 through 16 this morning. The text is also printed in the bulletin for you. Um, we're somewhere just past the halfway mark in our series on uh, the unity that we have in Christ in uh, the letter that Paul wrote to the Ephesians. So um, <clears throat> it's going to be all downhill from here. Uh, Christianity is about love, really. Um, that's one way to boil it down. Uh, our God is love. We have a, a triune God. It's a unique God. Uh, there's no other God like the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit who is one God, one being, uh, in three persons who are in mutual, uh, loving, delightful uh, communion with each other since... Uh, since eternity past and into eternity future. And so we have God, a God who is love, and he loves us, and he gave his son Jesus for us. He worked out our salvation for the sake of love. Um, because he loves us, he sent his son for us. And this letter is about love. Uh, we've, we've seen it quite a bit. Um, uh, talk about reconciliation to God and the unity that we have in Christ and uh, the closeness of a relationship that we have where, where Christ uh, his own spirit dwells inside of us because God loves us and because that's the kind of God he is. And he's calling us into that kind of relationship, relationship of love. So it's a letter about love, and it's not merely a forgiving love. Maybe that's an easy mistake for people to make these days uh, in the church is that thinking about the gospel in terms of like, well, that's what you need to get into the church. and then, um, But that's, that's where you kind of restrain your ideas of needing mercy or forgiveness or whatever to God's love provides that right um, but his love is not just a forgiving love it's a transforming love it should be at work in any Christian's life until the day that they die his love is what changes us from the inside out and so the gracious love and the acceptance that we receive from God is not like God saying hey you know what you're welcome at my house anytime anytime you're welcome right um it's, it's like he's saying, now you're part of our family, so this is your home. And we do things differently here. Uh, and at first it might seem strange to you that we do things so differently here, but that's the way this family works, that's the way this household runs, and once you grow accustomed to life in this household, you're really going to love it. Right? This is not the kind of thing where you just can have a transient relationship with God. You're welcome in his house. No, you come and you're knit together with his family, and it changes everything about your life. That's what his love is like. It's a transforming love. God takes us, he receives us, he welcomes us, and he changes us. And he does it together. Right? Not just in our lives as individuals. He does that together uh, as, as we love each other, as we're motivated by the truth of the gospel, as we're shaped, as our lives are shaped communally uh, by the truth of the gospel. So, that's kind of what we're talking about this morning. Uh, let me pray, and then we will read from Ephesians 4. <clears throat> Father, we're not prone to think rightly about you and your love for us. We can get it wrong in uh, an almost infinite number of ways. So we pray that you would fix our eyes on Christ, that you would help us to know the truth from your word, the truth that you've revealed to us about who you are and uh, your work in our lives, what you're doing through your spirit. We pray that this would be um, done for us because uh, 
because we pray in the name of Christ and we pray with him as our, uh, as our head and we know that as we're found in him by faith that you do love us even as you love him. And so um, we ask for the gifts that he gives. We ask especially for the Spirit's help that you would transform us into the likeness of your son, Jesus Christ, as we hear your word and consider it together this morning. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you've been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, it says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives and he gave gifts to men. And in saying he ascended, what does it mean but that he had also descended into the lower regions of the earth? He who descended is the one who also ascended far above all the heavens that he might fill all things. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of the ministry, for building up the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped. When each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So if you're part of a big household or maybe part of a group like this where um, there's, there's several people larger than a regular family size, it's uh, uh, common to feel a bit lost, right? Feel a bit lost in a big household. You wonder where you fit in. Maybe you've got like 10 brothers and sisters or, you know, like, where's my place? I just get ignored. Or where, you know, you're in a, you're in a church and uh, you wonder where your place is. How do you fit in, right? You do have a place in the church, each and every one of you. If you're a Christian, you have a place in the church. Uh, something we were talking about this summer with Ed Welch's book, Side by Side. I mean, on a basic level, each one of us is needy. We each have our needs that we need to bring to God and to each other. And each one of us is needed. Right? The, the second big part of that book is um, convincing us and equipping us uh, that, that we're actually needed, right? There are no superfluous Christians in the church. There's no, nobody extra here that we can do without, right? Uh, each one has something to contribute. Each one has a place and something to contribute to the growth of the church, the maturation of the church. And each one's contribution looks different. That's why we can get lost and feel like we don't have a place is because uh, we're, we're just not aware of what my particular contribution should look like, because each one is, is different, right? The point of your part, like the purpose or the goal of your part, as with everybody's part in the church, 
is the loving unity of the whole church. That's how we grow. That's how we mature as a church, is growing in our loving unity. Uh, a couple of weeks ago, when we last looked at this, um, the first part of this passage, verses 1 through 6, uh, which we're really not going to spend much time on here, uh, we looked at the, the fact that we have been given, as a gift of God's grace, through his Spirit, we've been given unity, the unity of the Spirit, and we're to maintain that, right? We're to live in a way that, uh, that just makes sense in light of the new reality, which is ours, as a gift of God's grace. We've been given unity, now we're supposed to live as if that's true. And, um, and so, maintain the unity of the Spirit, but grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Right? So, we're talking about unity, but not uniformity. Right? Unity, but not uniformity. We're talking about unity in diversity. That's how God works. That's what God is doing with the church. That's what he wants from the church. That's what he wants in a place like this, unity without uniformity. So it's not, it's not like this place is a big box of nails, right, where uh, each individual piece looks the same as all the others, functions the same as all the others. It really is the same as all the others, right? That's not the kind of unity that we're talking about. Paul uses body, uh, th- that as a metaphor, that as an image. Uh, we have organic unity, so it's something much more complex, it's m- much more dynamic, and living and changing than uh, as if we were just a box of nails or a a bag of candies that all tasted the same or whatever. Um, It's much more complex and dynamic than that. It's an organic unity that we have. He says in another place, there are a few places where he talks about the gifts of the Spirit. Uh, Romans 12 is one of them. And he says this, starting in verse 3, For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same functions, so we, though many, are one body in Christ, and individually members one of another. Having gifts that differ according to the grace given us, let us use them. We have different gifts. So each individual Christian in the church has received a particular gift, right? or gifts, or some kind of mix of gifts, right? Um, particular grace, particular gifts for each individual. And so Paul says, therefore, it says, when he ascended on high, and he's quoting from Psalm 68 here, but he's, he's, uh, which, which was a song of God, uh, his victory, his, his triumph over his enemies, and he's applying it to Jesus Christ himself. He says, um, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives and he gave gifts to men. So Psalm 68, he's saying, uh, which was um, really too long for us to read for our Old Testament uh, reading or else it would have been that. You should go read Psalm 68. It's, it's uh, really amazing. Uh, it's a passage about God. It's, it's a passage ultimately about Jesus Christ and what he's doing uh, in his victory in his victory, to give gifts and share gifts, to receive and give gifts uh, like the spoils of war, right? The spoils of war, and uh, as it's applied to Jesus Christ, we understand his victory, his ultimate triumph is over the forces of evil, right? Over the devil himself and his demons. Jesus has the victory through his life and through his death on the cross uh, and through his resurrection, and that resurrected victorious Christ, as he enters into heaven... The picture is he's, he's coming in uh, through the city gates, 
to where his people are uh, celebrating his great victory. And as, as Jesus Christ himself entered into heaven, what did he do? He, he sent his Holy Spirit to the church. He poured out his spirit and in doing so gave the church gifts, right? So this passage that we're looking at, uh, it's, it's a lot about like how the church functions and what we're supposed to do in exercising our gifts. Ultimately, it's a passage about Jesus, what he's doing. To, he's the one building the church. He's the one that says that in Matthew, Matthew's gospel. I will build my church. And this is how he does it, right? So we can't ignore Jesus just because we've kind of moved on to the part where we're supposed to be responding to Jesus here in, in the second part of Ephesians, where it's more about kind of what we're doing than what God has already done. Uh, the focus is there, but it's still about Jesus building his church. You can't ignore the gospel. This, this, is why, um, this is why we're supposed to do what we're supposed to do in the church. As we exercise our gifts and build each other up in love, it's because the Son of God came and lived and served right, and worked and taught and died and rose again and ascended the triumphal return of the, the, the victorious king. He ascended into heaven and he distributed his spirit to us and, and gave us gifts. So each of us has received gifts from him right, to build up his church. We've received spiritual gifts. So in the, in the Bible, anytime you see the word spiritual, uh, being spiritual means having to do with the Holy Spirit, that person, that third person of the Trinity. We've received spiritual gifts that come to us because we've, we've got the spirit of Christ himself, who is the one working to build and grow his church to maturity. So Paul says in this little in most of our translations, it'll be a parenthetical statement, <clears throat> verses 9 and 10. It says, in saying he ascended, well, what does it mean but that he had also descended into the lower regions of the earth? He who descended is the one who also ascended far above all the heavens that he might fill all things. So the point of that is to say Jesus Christ didn't fundam fundamentally change between the Jesus we know from the Gospels because we see his life and his death and res resurrection right here on earth he didn't fundamentally change when he went into heaven. The one who ascended, he's the same one who also descended. He's the Son of God incarnate, the one who was willing to become a human being and suffer and die for us. That's his character, that's his nature, that's who he is, that's who he's always going to be. And that's who our Lord is, the one who victoriously went to heaven and, um, and sent us the Spirit. So that same Christ, the one who was willing to undergo all humiliation before his exaltation. That same Christ, what characterized him on earth is what characterizes him even now. And it's meant to characterize us together as his body, as we're the temple that's patterned on him. He's the pattern for the temple, and that's what we're supposed to look like as his church together, this same Christ who was humiliated. Right? The same Christ who suffered for the sake of love and gave himself to the utmost for love's sake. So the spiritual gifts that we receive from him, because he's given us his own spirit, the spiritual gifts that we receive through that are all aspects, are all facets of Jesus Christ himself. His own ministry, his own life, his own character. And ultimately, all of that, all of these gifts that, you know, I have some of these, you have some of these, and they all kind of add up to give you a full picture of Jesus Christ Ultimately, they're summed up in love, right? That's what, that's what he is. That's who he is, and that's what he, he has always done. And that's, that describes his character perfectly. So, so you've got lists of these spiritual gifts. 
You've got some uh, listed here. You've got some listed in, in Romans 12 um, and 1 Corinthians 12 and in 1 Peter 4. You know, Romans 12 talks about prophecy, service, teaching, exhorting, uh, giving, leading, mercy, those kinds of gifts that we're supposed to exercise in our community and the church. 1 Corinthians 12, wisdom, faith, gifts of healing, working of miracles. That probably needs its own sermon. I don't know what that means. Um, discernment of spirits. Tongues, interpretation of tongues, administrating, and then First Peter 4 kind of repeats a couple of these. So there's lists of, here and there, never a complete list. Probably we don't have a full list, even if you add all these things together, what Paul and, uh, and the New Testament writers are talking about, these spiritual gifts. They're all summed up in love. Right? They all, you add them all together, and you get Jesus, and you get love. Right? Um, there's a lot of people, maybe we should do like a spiritual gifts inventory sometime. Maybe that's helpful for us, but um, it's kind of not the point of this whole thing, is figuring out precisely exactly which facet of love I have. It's like we're all called to love one another and do that how I'm called to do that and how you're called to do that. And there's some definition between us, there's some distinction between the way that we're supposed to do that as we have our individual gifts, but, um, but it's a relational thing. So the discovery of your spiritual gifts probably ought to be done in relationship in the church, not just taking some abstract test where you're kind of answering questions for yourself. Uh, it might be helpful. It might be helpful. It might get some good ideas out of something like that. But uh, spiritual gifts, like the discovery of what your spiritual gifts are and the exercise of them and how we help each other grow in the exercise of those things, that's all relational, right? It's all relational. Uh, our, our gifts are discovered and cultivated in relationship because they're all about love, right? These, these things are all about how we love one another and help build one another up in love. So precise definition isn't really the point. I'm not going to tell you, and I'm not going to guess for you right now what each of your spiritual gifts are and give you, you know, a nice catalog and categorization of, like, where you fit. That's not the point of the text. The New Testament doesn't spend a lot of time talking about the gifts, even in those places where they're, um, where they're listed out. You know, especially Paul, when he lists out these gifts, he's talking about the purpose of these gifts, Right. He's, this is where Paul begins to focus our attention now in, in this passage and says in verse 11, he gave apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of the ministry, for building up the body of Christ. So here's the point of these gifts. It's to build up the body, right? And that's what he's focusing on. Anytime he talks about spiritual gifts, he talks about purpose. Like what, what are we doing with these things? So the apostles and the prophets... <clears throat> That's kind of the foundational word-oriented. These guys received the word from God directly, from Jesus Christ himself, and they delivered it to us. And that's what we have in the scriptures. The evangelists are people like, maybe, you know, you see them in the scriptures, people who are called evangelists in the New Testament are Philip and Timothy who go around preaching, and they're kind of lieutenants to the apostles, right? They, they really help out. They establish multiple churches, um, or serve in multiple churches. There's probably some overlap here with today the, the idea of a missionary or a church planter, right? An evangelist. Uh, somebody who proclaims the word of God, maybe especially to those who haven't heard it yet. Um, and then shepherds and teachers, maybe more like what we understand to be the regular pastors and elders in, in the church today, doing a lot of ministry to the body of Christ and in the body of Christ, right? So <clears throat> certain people, these, these gifts are put in terms of the people, Right? He gave apostles and prophets. and He gave these people to the church 
And so uh, we understand that to mean he's, he's giving these as offices, right? These are people who are gifted with a special uh, um, equipping, special gifts to be able to teach God's word especially, right? So the, the point is that these are word-oriented gifts. These are teaching-type gifts that Paul is talking about here. Um, somebody will say to me, so you just think you're God's gift to the church, don't you? And uh, <clears throat> it does appear to be the reality. Uh, Paul says... Uh, Paul says, don't think too highly of yourself, right? <clears throat> so, uh, but every, every single apostle, every single prophet and evangelist and shepherd and teacher <clears throat> that God has given to the church was a sinner reclaimed by God's grace, right? We have no right to boast of our gifts, right? As if we got those things for ourselves, as if we deserve to be in the position that we're in. Uh, Eugene Peterson says, God does not work apart from sinful and flawed, forgiven to be sure, but sinful and flawed men and women who are mostly without credentials. God doesn't work apart from people like that. That's who he uses. Um, So the point of the passage is that really it's not all about one type of person. You don't have a showboat, a superstar, that guy, you know, the church is that guy. One of my kids said today, uh, uh, this week to us, uh, the church is bigger than you. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> like, yeah, what? I guess so. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, the church is bigger than me. It's not all about this one person or this one office. Uh, the office is meant to serve everybody else. The point of the passage is that one person or one type of person is not enough to constitute the church, right? One type of gifts. It's not enough to do what God wants us to do, right? Elders aren't the only ones doing ministry, or we shouldn't be, right? Elders are not the only ones doing ministry, we're the ones who, um, whose primary role is to mobilize you all to do all the ministry. Right? That's what elders are for. I've received some criticism for this, some questioning about this. Um, you know, somebody once asked me, well, I don't, I, you think that's your job to equip everybody to do? I don't think that's your job. Uh, somebody criticized me because um, I haven't personally spearheaded every attempt to care for folks and minister to folks. Like somebody has a baby or somebody's in the hospital, you know, group effort is made to provide meals for them, and I didn't do any of that. <laughs> and people have criticized uh, me or others, you know, in, in ministry, uh, other pastors and elders for, you never visited me. Well, you got visits from 10 other people in the church. That's what the church is supposed to be about. It's not just me. I, obviously, um, I'm not trying to excuse myself. I probably have failed in uh, many ways in shepherding and caring for people, but um, but it's not supposed to be me stretching myself thin or your elders stretching themselves thin to be able to minister and take care of everybody's needs. It's impossible. It's impossible, and that's not what God wants. He actually wants this multifaceted, beautiful, complex, dynamic thing where all of us are sharing in the ministry. It's God's plan for the, matura- the maturation of the church. My job and the elder's job is to equip you to do your job, which is the larger part of the ministry. It's got to be the larger part of the ministry, what you're doing, what you all are doing, that we're trying to facilitate and mobilize, right? <clears throat> it's like Daniel Tiger always says. <laughs> Everyone's job is important. We all help in different ways. Got that tune stuck in your head. I'm sorry. <laughs> you might not think you have much to offer, right? You might actually be resentful of the gifts of others, wishing that those were your gifts, or 
you might be utterly confounded at the idea altogether that, that broken, messed up people like us could build a healthy community. You look around and you just don't see the right tools, right? Do we have what it takes? This doesn't make sense. We're a bunch of broken, messed up people in desperate need of God's mercy, right? Again, Eugene Peterson says, we're not a utopian community. Maybe the church, as we have it, provides the very conditions and proper company congenial for growing up in Christ, for becoming mature, maybe, for arriving at the measure of the stature of Christ. Maybe God knows what he is doing, giving us church, this church. Maybe God knows what he's doing, working with people like us, even though we can't see it. Right? The thing is, he, he does know what he's doing, and he's doing what's impossible for us to do. He's doing the miraculous, right? He's taking a violently jumbled mess of people and knitting them together by his grace, by his spirit, through the gospel, <clears throat> into a corporate body, a dynamic, complex entity that looks like Jesus himself because it's his body. That's what God is doing it's beyond us, right? He's the one building his church, and this is what he's doing. <clears throat> this is kind of the goal here in verse 13. Until we all, this is like corporate language, not just individuals, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood. That, that's singular. So this body made up of um, lots of people is supposed to mature, to mature to such unity that we, we mature to one mature manhood. That is, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. When we're done, when God's done with this thing, when he's done with us, we're going to look like Jesus in our unity and the way that we work together and serve each other. So this is not just concerned with individual Christian maturity. Right? Absolutely, it has to be part of this whole thing. Everybody's got to take their part. <clears throat> it's, it's concerned with the maturity of the church. Church maturity is corporately reflecting the image of God, the Imago Dei, right? corporately reflecting Jesus himself, who is the image of God. He's the human being that fully, perfectly reflects what God is like. And so church maturity is, is reflecting, growing in our reflection of Jesus himself. He's the one who descended right, in his humble love that characterizes him still. And he's also the one who ascended. So in him, we have a new humanity, the, the new true human being, and we're all being built together as a, as a new humanity corporately, patterned after him. It's, uh, it's, not the, it's kind of hard to bring up analogies. I mean, the temple is an analogy. It's a very uh, uh, profound analogy that we see throughout the scriptures. Here's some analogies that might resonate maybe with some of us. Uh, it's like you get a, a Lego set at the store. This is the Jesus Christ Lego set <laughs> with thousands and thousands of little pieces that are all different. <laughs> and you, you follow the pattern and you build the Jesus-shaped Lego set where each individual Lego block has one of your names on it. Right? Uh, or somebody laser scanned Jesus and um, the Holy Spirit is like 3D printing out of us. We're the material that's being formed into this 3D printer version of Jesus. Right? That's, that's the imagery that's going on here. 
And this happens as we're increasingly shaped by the truth of the gospel. That's how this happens. Like the, the main thing Paul's talking about here, we need to be increasingly shaped by the truth of God's grace to us through Jesus Christ. As, as certain people, shepherds and teachers especially these days, um, exercise their gifts, their word-oriented gifts, their, their truth-telling gifts, right, um, to build us all up. So, uh, so verse, verse 14, so that we may, not, we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes, right? So uh, to grow up from that place of infancy, spiritual immaturity, to maturity, we need these kind of gifts that Paul's telling us about. So he's just saying theology matters. It's kind of what he's saying. Theology matters. The people who exercise their word-oriented teaching gifts in the church, that's very important. That's pretty much critical, Right? The way that you think about God really matters. It helps to mature us as a congregation. Otherwise, we're going to be immature. We're going to be tossed around because we believe all kinds of crazy stuff, and we don't know what to lock, lock down on, right? Um, thinking well about God, knowing his revelation, knowing the scriptures, knowing what it means, letting his truth shape the way that you view the world, the way you view your life and your relationships, that shapes you and it grows you and it shapes your ministry to one another and it grows this church. It grows the, the whole corporate body, right? Thinking well about God and being helped to think well about God. It's like we read in uh, Psalm 1 in the Old Testament reading that Tim read. Um, instead of the, the wicked who give no attention to God's truth uh, but are like the chaff that's driven away by the wind because they have no stability, Instead of that, the congregation of the righteous, they've sunk down their roots into the truth because they've given, they've given attention to God's word. In, and they've sunk down their roots into God's reality, what can be known about God because he's revealed it to us in the scriptures, and we flourish because of it. Right? It's like that tree planted by the streams of water. It flourishes. It bears its fruit in season. Right? Um, its leaves do not wither and die. Uh, that's what Paul's talking about. That's why Paul's focusing on the teaching gifts here. If you, if you don't have somebody calling you to live according to God's revelation, to tell you what that is, help you understand it, help you apply it in your life, then you're going to remain children. This place isn't going to grow in maturity as a church. Right? We're going to remain immature and helpless, really. Um, so rather, Paul says... Speaking the truth in love, we're to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped. That joint is probably what he's talking about, these, um, these word ministry gifts, right? Apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers, th these joints. From whom the whole body, joined and held together by these joints with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, it makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Jesus is the one building us, and we're building ourselves right in the church as we love one another according to the truth of the gospel. So this is in contrast, right? He says, rather, speaking the truth in love, this is in contrast with the deceitful schemes of the false teachers that he's talking about, just whatever kind of human craftiness, human ways of thinking about God that will mislead us, right, that will confuse us and not lead us to a, a, 
the truth about God, in contrast with those deceitful schemes, good shepherds and teachers will speak the truth in love. And so that's not just saying, you know, good pastors give you tough love, and they'll, they'll say hard things, right? It's, it's that love shapes the way that you talk about the gospel, right? Speaking the truth of the gospel, the truth that God has revealed, building one another up in the gospel truth, helping to apply the gospel to each other's lives, and all of that is motivated by love. I mean, if you don't, if you don't love, then you're not going to do it, and um, because sometimes it is really hard to help people understand how the gospel intersects with their lives, right? Um, if you're not motivated by love, you're not going to do it, and it needs to be in the shape of Christ's love. The way that Jesus does it, that's how we're supposed to share the gospel with each other. So this is what your elders do, and this is what your, your elders want you to know the gospel above all things, right? This is, this is the core of our job description, um, is, is to get you to know the gospel, to, to know Jesus Christ himself, to connect with him and his grace by faith, his love, like when Jesus says things like, blessed are the poor in spirit. This is part of the gospel of Jesus Christ when he says, blessed are the poor in spirit. That is uh, counterintuitive for us and your elders. This kind of thing, when Jesus says this, you need to know, because Jesus is saying this, it's part of the gospel. You need to know your spiritual poverty. You need to know your spiritual bankruptcy. You will resist knowing that about yourself. So it's a very difficult thing when your elders try to engage in your lives and tell you things like, you need mercy. You don't want to know that about yourself. You don't want to think that about yourself. You want to think everything's fine. Look, don't I provide a, a nice show of self-sufficiency here? Look at my facade. Don't look deeper than that. That's what we're all like. We, we're spiritually bankrupt. Jesus tells us that. And, and he says, blessed are you when you know that, when it, that's a reality for you, right? So you need to know that you are called to live an impossible life. You're called to live a life of love toward people who are impossible to love, right? You're called to love people who are impossible to love and in yourself, you have no resources to be able to do this. Spiritual poverty. Spiritual bankruptcy in the face of the reality that God's calling you to. Right? That's the reality whether you fully believe it or not. That's God's truth. And we, and, and those like us, ministers, teachers, uh, pastors, and, and elders, we're, we're here to help you know not just your need for God's grace, to deliver that as gently and as meaningfully as possible to you, your great need for God's grace. Um, not just to know that, but to assure you that because of Jesus Christ, you have God's grace. Right? We're not just here to tell you the truth about the, the hard truth about yourself. We're here to tell you the truth of the gospel, which is that things are much better than you could ever imagine because God loves you and he gave his son Jesus for you. And you really may now live in a way that reflects his character in your life because you've got the Spirit. And you've got his gifts, right? For the sake of other people, living for the sake of other people and not just for yourself. Right? And even that, um, that activity of, of a pastor or an elder trying to um, speak the truth in love to people in the church to help them grow in their connection to Christ and their faith and their, their participation in the church, even that, that role um, can't be done just by one person, right? 
It can't just be me telling you what's wrong with your life and how Jesus fixes it. It can't just be me. The elders have had enough conversations where we've been together, the three of us, it's Joe and Brian and me, um, we've had enough conversations with other people that are very hard conversations where if it was just me in the room with them, it would have gone just terribly. It would have gone miserably. I wouldn't have been able to, to do what needed to be done, say what needed to be said, right? It's not just that these guys are helpful in a pinch or whatever. Like, we actually need each other. This is a corporate group effort, right? That's what I'm saying. We're here to share the work of the ministry together. Some of us have these different gifts. We're all supposed to use them together because it's just not going to work otherwise. You can't just be one person doing it all, right? Or one type of person. Um, I can't do it on my own. Plurality of elders is, is necessary. And ultimately, all of that goes to show, since, it, since it's not just one person doing everything, running the show or whatever, since it's not that, all of this about exercising gifts and all of it about growing and maturity, all of it's about love. All of it's about relationships, right? Coming to know one another better and be known by one another and open up our lives to each other and be vulnerable and help, help one another because we're all needed, right? There's no superfluous Christians. All of it's about love. And that's what Paul talks about. I mean, it's, it's pretty amazing. Again, give you more homework to do. Go read 1 Corinthians 12 through 14, those chapters. Um, I'll quote a few verses from this. He says, to each is given, in, in verse 12, uh, chapter 12, verse 7, <clears throat> to each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. Earnestly desire the higher gifts, and I will show you a still more excellent way. And then he talks about love for a whole chapter, chapter 13. This is the more excellent way. He was talking about spiritual gifts. That's great. Pursue those things. I'll show you a more excellent way. Love. Right? If I have all gifts, he basically says, if I have all the gifts but I don't have love, I've got nothing. That's what this is all about. Right? That's what this is about. And he says in, in chapter 14, then, since you are eager for the manifestations of the Spirit, and this is what the Spirit is about, strive to excel in building up the church. Let all things be done for building up. All things be done out of love for the sake of building up the church. So Paul isn't being dismissive of individual spiritual gifts, but he says this is what it's about. It's about love and relationships. Your gifts aren't given to you for your sake but for the common good, for the sake of other people. Right? Not just given to you to enjoy, but these, these gifts are given to help you love others. Right? Just as Jesus Christ didn't come into the world and live and die for himself, but for others. And just as that same, that very same Jesus Christ, he lives forever and his spirit resides in us to fashion us more and more into his own image. We're to live for the sake of love for, for others and not for ourselves. Right? We're to help each other with things like uh, good counsel or um, uh, babysitting or providing meals or uh, helping with finances or sharing the work of church hospitality and nursery and children's education and things like that. Right? We're all supposed to do all those things together and help one another, however we can, however we're supposed to, according to our gifts. Right? Um, all that to say that the more deeply we connect to the gospel of Jesus Christ together, the more beautiful this community will become as we mature in reflecting his image together, as we mature corporately in our Christ-likeness. So let's do that.
Amen. Let's pray. Father, we look at Jesus as we see him in the Gospels, and uh, we love to think about him because uh, he is good and he is beautiful and his life seems right to us. He did humanity rightly. He did it well. And, um, and with whatever um, meager faith we have, whatever the gifts are that you've given us uh, graciously by your Spirit, we want to imitate him. And we know we can't do that on our own. We know we need each other uh, so that we can grow as individuals and corporately as a church as we uh, seek to reflect Jesus' uh, beautiful humanity in our community. So we pray that you would help us because you're the only one who can do this. You're the only one who can really ultimately build your church. You've, you've given your spirit and you've given us gifts. We pray that you would help us to discover those in relationship with one another. Help us to cultivate each other's gifts and help us to be mindful always of the ultimate purpose of these things, that we're to love and build one another up, not just live for ourselves, but to give ourselves in self-sacrificial service and love to each other. Teach us what that means. Uh, Show us how beautiful and good it is in the life of Christ so that we can imitate him. We pray in his name. Amen.